0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're happy that you're here today and ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do each week for 30 minutes is answer as many Bible questions as we can. We think that's a good way to help people know their Bible uh, helps us know our Bible too. We learn all sorts of things on this program. So that's what we do. If you've got a question for us, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on this program and you direct the program and hopefully we all learn a little bit more about our Bible. When I say we, I mean I'm Steve Tandy. we got two gentlemen here to help, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. And Jeff Martin's back. Good morning, Jeff. morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, our viewers always get the first question, but we'll get to ours in a moment. But here's your viewer question. How many baskets of leftovers were there after Jesus fed the 5,000? There's two feeding stories in the Bible. So we get the 5,000 and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, a few leftovers that day. All right, looks like Toby drew number one, so you get to get us started.
1: Sure, question about heaven. The uh, question is, uh, when we go to heaven, will we be able to take our pets? Well, uh, there's lots of people who go back and forth on this. What Will there be animals? Will we be, uh, Will we have our pets in heaven? be able to take them with us, we, You know all of that. Um, you know, I've dug into it a little bit, and I suppose there are good arguments to be made on either side of that. I could probably, if I was trying real hard, could make a case either way. The Bible really just doesn't say, all I do know is this, uh, God created the world and everything in it, all the created world in six days, and how wonderful and glorious and just there's so many parts of it that're just beautiful and take your breath away, and he did that in six days and so just think how much more wonderful heaven is going to be. Of course, heaven is about just being in the presence of God that's the point of heaven, uh, but whatever God has decided, we need and is needed in that world for it to be perfect. You can rest assured, God's going to have it there. Uh, we don't know. The Bible doesn't give us just a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Uh, but there is one verse that I want to point out that says this: First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, "As it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him." So, the answer to your question is it's up to God, but I do know heaven is going to be great. So, hope that helps you a little bit.
0: <laughs> all righty. Question about communion and how often we should take it as communion only for Sunday, or could you partake more often? All right. Well, uh, there are all sorts of different uh, positions on that in the religious world. Some uh, religions take it every day, some do it. Only once a month. Some do it a couple times a year. Uh, So there's all kinds of variations, and that's the way it is when man makes up his mind. Uh, The question was asked, could we take it more often? Uh, The only way to answer that accurately is to see what the Bible has to say. Uh, So we look at the Bible, and the easiest thing would be if there was just a command in the Bible. That settles things. If the Bible says, this is the way it is. Uh, thou shalt or thou shalt not, then it's settled. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say just on Sunday. It doesn't say twice a week. It doesn't say once a month. Uh, Jesus said as often as you take it, remember me. Uh, so there's no command. Uh, so the second thing we look for is, is there any example? Is there something that the early church did that helps us see uh, what God's will was? And when we look for an example, we find this verse in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Uh, Luke writes about traveling with Paul. And he tells about getting to one town and staying for a week. And he said, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Uh, they had gotten there a week, almost a week before. And they stayed the whole week to evidently worship with the people in that town. And he says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Uh, now we look at secular history, and we see that's what the early church did. Uh, they met once a week to have the communion, the Lord's Supper, the uh, feast of remembrance of Christ's death, and that's all we've got as an example. So uh, the example in history shows us that's what they did. Uh, could we take it more often? Uh, I got to thinking about that. I thought, well, if it was a personal remembrance for you and you decided that, all right, when I have uh, some bread and juice, I'm going to remember Jesus, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, the trouble is the Lord's Supper is a communal event. It's a group thing. Uh, it, uh, Paul said to remember the body, to discern the body, uh, to think about other people. So it's a, a group uh, participation that unites us in Christ. Now, uh, the only example we have is doing it once a week on Sunday. So I think that's the safest and uh, most biblical way to do the communion. Jeff, what right. you got?
2: I've got one on holy ground. <laughs> Are all churches considered holy ground? And if you asked uh, religious people this question, you would get a few different answers. But we're going to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. Uh, First of all, I would say that post-death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, so in the New Testament, um, the early Christians were gathering in multiple places. Uh, We can see that in different places in the Bible, but let's look at just one in Acts 5.42. It says, "...day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and preaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah." So, if you look back in the Old Testament, there were holy places, there were holy people, there were holy (coughs) objects. Uh, But in the New Testament, things changed, and they were gathering and doing church things in multiple different places. Not just in the temple courts, but also from house to house. But specifically, the viewer asked about holy ground. And that's mentioned in two places in the Bible. Uh, The first is um, God before Moses in the form of a burning bush, which is in Exodus 3. And in that story, God says this is holy ground, and He even warns Moses. He says, don't come too close and take off your sandals. Uh, it wasn't holy because of that place. It was holy because that place contained the presence of God. Uh, it was a serious thing to approach God And it required reverence. Now that hasn't changed. The second place in the Bible that we find holy ground is in Acts 7 in Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. And once again, he's referencing Moses and the burning bush that contained the presence of God. So what made the ground holy when we talk about holy ground was God's presence. And when God is present again, we should be reverent because he is holy. Um, To fast forward a little bit to to, to today, I I am a youth minister, and when I bring my teens over to my house to watch a movie or to play a game, or if I bring them to the church to watch a movie or play a game, there's a very different mindset than when I do those same things uh, in an effort to worship God or to pray or to approach the throne of God. There's very different mindsets. Um, When we approach God, no matter where we are, there is something holy going on this has very little to do with the, the place geographically and everything to do with approaching almighty god uh, and his presence so the churches are not holy in and of themselves but where god is present it's holy
0: all right good answer uh, god's presence makes it holy let's take just a moment and study uh think about a way to study the bible Uh, We answer a few questions each week, but uh, we don't even scratch the surface of what's in the Bible, and that's why we advocate home Bible study. Uh, We think it's a good thing to do, uh, to study God's Word for yourself, and we know some people have trouble getting started in that kind of study, so we've got some tools that we've uh, developed over the years that are great ways to study the Bible. Uh, We'll start you out with a course that's just a very basic overview of the Bible, uh, no, not denominational creed or anything, just plain Bible teaching. And then we've got other advanced courses that take you into more detail about the life of Christ and the beginning of the church and lots of uh, different things that the Bible has to say. So, uh, great studies, good way to learn some Bible. And we know some people don't uh, do things on paper anymore, so we've got some digital uh, ways that you can study the Bible. If you log on to one uh you'll find some uh, a way to register and get started on an online Bible study that you can do any place, any time you want, and uh, still get a great deal of Bible knowledge. So, those are the. Uh, offerings we have for you. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. If you'd like one of those print versions, uh, let us know, and we'll get it started for you. Hope you enjoy studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Tell me, where did yeah. Jesus go?
1: <laughs> we I uh, get that question from time to time. It's an interesting question to think about. Where was Jesus during the three days between his crucifixion and the resurrection? So, Obviously, Jesus had died in the flesh, and then three days later, he came out of the tomb. But what happened between those two very significant events? Well, the Bible speaks um, about the afterlife in a few places, and so uh, a couple. There's a little bit of confusion on the topic about where Jesus went. Um, there's a something called the Apostles' Creed, which is not in the Bible, but it's a creed that has kind of a summary of basic Christian beliefs. And one of those lines in the Apostles' Creed said uh, that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, and he descended to hell. So there's a lot of people believe that Jesus went to hell. Well, that's not what the Bible says, uh, which is why we have to be careful about creeds and doctrines and man-made ideas. Uh, it's always best to go straight to the source. The word uh, for uh, when it talks about uh, the place where you go after you die. There's two different words. One in the Hebrew is Sheol, and the one in the Greek is Hades. And both of those words mean the same place. It simply uh, is translated as the realm of the place of the dead, the place where those go when the people go when they die. We get a picture of that in Luke chapter 16, in the story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus, in uh, verse 23. Uh, Luke writes, In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his eyes, speaking of the rich man. So that's a description of Hades, and in that description in Luke 16, there are two parts to it. There's Abraham's side, uh, and then there's the place of torment. And these two sides are separate, and um, they're very different places in terms of their experience one is just awful and in fact the rich man begs uh, for just a drop of water to be placed on his tongue he's in such agony and he's uh, in fire and it's just a terrible place and the other one is a very comforting place uh, there at abraham's side so hades is described in that way and that's where we believe that jesus went uh, between the time of his crucifixion and the resurrection he went to hades the realm of the dead, Jesus did not go to hell. Um, Peter says that Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. So that's kind of an interesting picture uh, to imagine what Jesus did there. But no, Jesus did not go to hell. Jesus did go to Hades. And of course, three days later, he came out. So hopefully that helps. Uh, and we get the, another one scripture we look at is luke twenty three forty three uh, This is at the cross right before he died. And he says to the criminal next to him, "Truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise, which was uh, also called abraham 's side so he he knew where he was going, and uh, according to scripture that 's where Jesus went
0: all right a little Bible definition here. viewer wants to know what does the meat what does it mean in the Bible to judge someone well. My answer to that is it depends what you mean by judge. Uh the Bible says judge and the Bible says don't judge. So we gotta figure out what what that means. Anytime the Bible seems to contradict itself, uh it just means we hadn't quite figured it out yet. So we've got to do a little studying. Let me show you a couple of verses. First one is Matthew seven one, and this is probably currently the most popular Bible verse in the world. Uh it says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, Almost everybody in the world today knows that verse, or at least the first part of it. The Bible says, judge not. So you can't tell me what to do. Uh, Well, the Bible does say that, judge not. But the Bible also says to judge. Let's look at a couple of verses that say that. 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul asks, is it not those in the church whom you are to judge? Uh, So we're supposed to judge. People in the church somehow, uh, and also Romans 12:9, uh, Paul says to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Well, if we're supposed to reject evil and cling to what's good, uh, that means we got to judge: is this evil or this is good? Well, we got to discern. We got to decide. Uh, so, Bible says don't judge. Bible says judge. Uh, the best way I think to understand it is to think about as in different terms Uh, judging in one sense is discerning is deciding between good and bad and we have to do that all the time that's what life is about making judgments between is this good or bad or sometimes judgments between is this good or is this better uh, is this better or is this the best Uh, we make those kind of discernments or judgments And that's what Paul's talking about when he said you're supposed to judge people in the church. If someone's doing, uh, living a sinful lifestyle, uh, the elders of the church are supposed to confront that person and say this is not the way Christians live. So we are to make those kind of judgments. But there's also the kind of judgment that Jesus was talking about when he said judge not, which I think a better word for that is being judgmental. Uh, that makes more sense to us. Uh, it's not just deciding, is that right or wrong? It's being judgmental. It's being harsh. It's thinking, I've got everything right uh, so I can tell you what you got wrong. And you remember Jesus' story about that. He said, you're picking specks out of everybody else's eye, but you got a log in your own. Uh, don't be judgmental. Don't be harsh about it. So the question was, what's the Bible mean when it says, judge someone? Uh, Yes, we are supposed to make judgments about behavior and uh, appropriate things and wrong things and decide something. If we didn't do that, we couldn't get through life. Uh, So, yes, we're supposed to judge in a certain way, but we aren't to be judgmental. We aren't to be harsh, uh, critical in the way that we do it. Uh, So that's what the Bible means by judging a couple of different things.
2: All right, good answer, yep. I've got one, another one about the Bible. I haven't read the Bible. Where should I start? This is a great question. Hopefully the viewer didn't wait for me to answer this before they started. Uh, But this is good especially for our viewers who are just starting to watch and and wondering about what the Bible says and and wanting to get into it. And I don't have a scripture uh, that tells you exactly where to start, which leaves me uh, just giving you my humble opinion, which could possibly differ from Steve and Toby's opinion, so we'll see. Um, The Bible does not tell us where we should start reading, but we know that the Bible is the Word of God, so we know that it's all important. That being said, um, when we look at the Bible, when we look at the way it's laid out for us, we can see God's plan when we read it from beginning to end, beginning chronologically with Genesis and ending with Revelation. So a lot of times I think people start with Genesis because chronologically that's where it all starts. Uh, however, I would suggest going to the very center of the story um, where all of the events of the Bible are, are pointing to this one central event, which is the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where I would start. And that story is contained within the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, So any of those four would be a perfect place to start. Um, If I had to recommend one, I would say start with the Gospel of John. And when you are done with that, go to the book of Acts to get an example of the early church and the persecuted church. Um, As long as that's not where you end, it's a great place to start. And it also doesn't hurt to have a tool like we talked about earlier in the program uh, and start by uh, starting the correspondence course and letting that lead you through
0: the word of God Okay, good good suggestion and like you said uh, the, the real answer is where's the best place to start is somewhere Yes,
2: start <laughs> somewhere absolutely <laughs>
0: start, But yeah, you're right, uh, the gospels uh, Luke and Acts are a good place to start because Luke wrote both of them so it's kind of one long book uh, lots of good places but Maybe take that correspondence course first, and, and kind of get an overview, and that'll help you get started. Maybe. All right. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Church of Christ provide this program for you, and uh, we like to mention some of the folks that help us stay on the air. So let me mention a couple in uh, South Central Kansas right now. The Eastwood Church of Christ in Hutchinson, a great bunch of folks that have been uh, with us since the very beginning of Know Your Bible as has the uh, congregation in St. John, Kansas. Uh, both of them are long-time supporters of Know Your Bible, and great groups of folks there, a good bunch of Christians that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. So uh, if you live in one of those communities or uh, pass through, you might want to drop in and give them a visit, tell them that you uh, heard about them on Know Your Bible. If you're looking for a church home and live in uh, Hutch or uh, St. John, give them a try. Uh, Of course, whatever viewing area you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. uh, We invite you to drop in and visit them, tell them you heard about them here on Know Your Bible. All right, I think Toby's got another one here. Yes,
1: sir. Uh, The question is, um, if musical instruments are forbidden in church worship, what authorizes PA systems, computers, etc.? Well, uh, this is kind of a uh, I think I know what the viewers asking what they're getting to they're trying to make maybe a case uh, for instrumental music and countering our logic and the way we approach things. We obviously have many things in the church today that the first century Christians didn't have. You know, it's uh, we, we have PA systems and computers and audiovisual vi- equipment, those things you'll find almost in any church uh, worship service that you go. And... But we there's a lot more things that we have that the first-century church. Uh, we've got hymn books and pews and Bibles. Those are things the first-century church didn't have. Uh, they had maybe they would have a, a letter from the apostle Paul, uh, but they didn't have it bound in a book and and readily available. They didn't have song books and hymn books and uh, places to sit. Uh, for that matter, they didn't have electricity or church buildings either. So there's a lot of methods that have changed. Over the course of the centuries, as the church has uh, meets together, so the question is related to well, how do we know what 's allowed and what isn 't well you I view that as we've got to think of what our purpose is in our in our meeting together. I think there's two basic purposes, especially in worship the first and, and obviously the highest priority is to glorify God and to worship him, and the second purpose. Uh, so this is second in order priority, too, is to encourage and teach one another. That's what the church does when we worship together. And so um, we have Colossians 3.16, which says, uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And that really sums up nicely what we're supposed to be doing as we worship God together. Now, here's the danger of what I'll call mechanical aids, any sort of mechanical aid. If you want to, you know, uh, use an instrument or if you want to use a PowerPoint or anything like that. Uh, the first is, the danger is you can glorify the people who use the aid. You can, you know, in the example of instrumental music, you can glorify the musicians. Wow, look at their talent. I wish I could play the guitar like that guy. You know, you begin to give just a tiny bit of worship to the people performing. The second danger is you get into an entertainment mode, and you start going to a concert instead of going to worship. Uh, I've partaken in uh, worship services, and where the the, the the songs, the music, the instruments that were be were playing were so loud I couldn't hear myself, let alone the person next to me. It was a concert. Uh, I was trying to sing along, but it was there. I wasn't there to worship. I was there to be entertained. So we have to be careful with mechanical aids. Anything that distracts us from glorifying and worshiping God, and anything that takes us away from teaching uh, one another, we have to. Anything that does that, uh, we have to be um, just very careful with. So that's why I love simple worship. Keep it simple. Glorify God and teach one another. Hope that helps.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm a good answer. Let me just add to that. I thought when I heard that question come up. I thought, well, there's a question that's got a false premise. That's the one problem with it. And the viewer asked, uh, if musical instruments are forbidden in church worship, then how about this? Well, musical instruments aren't forbidden in church worship. Uh, That's not why we don't use them. Uh, The Bible says sing, so we sing. Uh, And that's a big difference. Uh, The Bible doesn't say don't use any musical instruments. First century Christians didn't. Uh, They just sang. Uh, but the, the way we approach the Bible, the way we think about it, is we do what the Bible says or try to. Uh, if the Bible doesn't say do it, we don't do it. So uh, the false premise there, musical instruments aren't forbidden. Uh, we're just commanded to sing. Okay, let me squeeze one more in here. If you want to know, are there master angels? Uh, when I got that question, I hadn't heard that term before, and I don't find any uh, basis for it uh, from the Bible. There are archangels uh... which just means angels of the highest rank uh... so there are some differences in uh... the rank of angels but we don't know what they are uh, michael is the only archangel that's named in fact he's one of only two angels that are named uh... michael and gabriel i guess you can count satan he's, he's named and he was an angel uh... but michael was an archangel and the Bible talks about him leading his angels against Satan in Revelation 7. So, he's got some kind of authority, some kind of rank over some other angels, it seems. Uh, other than that, we, we know about Gabriel was a messenger angel. He's not called that, but it seems to be what he did. And we read about cherubim and seraphim. Uh, we don't know much else about them. So, are there master angels? Uh, we assume there's some kind of rank of angels and hierarchy and a command structure, but we have no idea what it is. The Bible just doesn't tell us. Uh, Michael was an archangel of the highest rank is about all we know about it. All right, let me just make sure we get got a trivia question to answered today. And the question is about the leftovers at the big party. Uh, how many baskets of leftovers were there after Jesus fed the 5,000? And if you go to Mark chapter 6, you can find the story, and it says after everybody had eaten their fill, uh, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So Mark 6.43 says that. Uh, And the reason I said this was the 5,000, there is another story in Matthew about feeding the 4,000, and there were only seven baskets of leftovers. So a little trivia there for you. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week as we study some more Bible with you. Until then, have a great week.